Mark your calendars! The ADCES 24 Annual Conference parades into New Orleans August 9-12, through 12, 2024. Registration opens March 26, but you can start planning your trip now. Get ready to seize opportunities to connect, learn, and optimize your diabetes care and education practice. Stay tuned for updates at adces24.org. Hello, and welcome to AAD's podcast, The Huddle, Conversations with the Diabetes Care Team. In each episode, we speak with guests from across the diabetes care space to bring you perspectives, issues, and updates that elevate your role, inform your practice, and ignite your passion. I'm Crystal Broy, Chief Technology and Innovation Officer at AADE, and we've got a great show for you today. I had the pleasure of talking to our resident mobile apps expert, Lorianne Shear, about the differences in healthcare apps, how to find the right one, advice to people with diabetes on what to look for in an app, and what diabetes educators can do to further educate themselves. Without further ado, here is Lorianne Shear. With me today is a Chief Strategy Officer at Fitscript and also our Technology Community Interest Lead and one of my go-to people when I have questions about technology. Welcome, Lorianne. Thank you very much, Crystal. I'm really excited to be here with you today. I'm excited too. I wanted to start today by focusing on mobile apps, especially how they're used in the diabetes space. So maybe we could start with a question, are all healthcare apps the same? That is a great place to start. Not all healthcare apps are the same. Um, Different healthcare apps may deal with different disease states or circumstances like addiction or asthma or diabetes, and they may serve different function as well. So apps may work to help you change a behavior, like maybe stopping an unhealthy behavior like um, smoking or nail biting or even hair pulling. Or they may help you to adopt a new behavior like improving eating habits, managing your sleep, helping you learn or stick to uh, meditation, adhere to your medication or exercise. And um, there are also health apps that, you know, merely serve as like a logging function, you know, like the old log books that we are all so familiar with. So may help people log their medication Or there are things that might help caregivers that might not live in the same household, you know, to check in and make sure that a loved one is actually taking the medication. So there isn't just one app for everything. Right. How do you choose an app for a patient then? So, you know, sometimes it's good to to find an app that does more than one thing because, you know, we all have so many apps now on our phones or on our computer. So some people find that if you have an app that does more than one thing, it might be easier. This question, like how do you choose an app for a patient is a really good question. And and a lot of diabetes educators and I have been speaking about this because of the proliferation of apps. So one of the things that I find through, um, through myself and other educators is that we all try different apps and check them out ourselves. That may not always be possible. So speaking with other colleagues is helpful. And also, you know, Dana. Dana is a really great resource. Um, And, you know, I don't want to state the obvious, but it's a really great place to go to to find out what apps are out there. And one of the amazing things that I love about it is that we can actually send the specific app that we're interested in having our patients 
look at or, or try, we can send it to them through an email or a text. You know, we always, people always leave our offices with stuff. This way we can just send it to them. And, you know, if we send it to them later in a day, it might be like a, another touch point or a little nudge to help them manage their diabetes. I'm, I'm glad to hear that you like that feature. We do get a lot of comments on that to be able to send it straight to patients. And also then the patients can actually look at entire Dana apps to see if there's other apps that they might be interested in using. So we're getting a lot of good feedback on that. One of the questions that we get asked at our email, which is Dana at AADENet.org, is about insulin calculators. Can you tell me a little bit about why these are important and what the concern should be about those types of apps? So insulin calculators, and this is a really good question because this is one that kind of gets a little bit into the whole medical area. So insulin calculators are very useful to help people to avoid incorrect insulin dosing that can lead to, you know, hypoglycemia or hyperglycemic events. Back in the day, we used to manually manage adjustments. And, you know, we, I, I say we did it carefully and intensely because it really was a lot of back and forth and, and talking and, and communicating with people to make sure that the dosing, you know, was accurate and, and was safe. So one of the things that we need to know about these apps is that they're not all FDA approved. And since these apps provide this real medical treatment decision support, they do require FDA approval. And, you know, not all diabetes apps require FDA approval, but just know that because this is giving medical advice, these do require FDA approval. So one thing to tell people is to be careful when you're looking at an app that says they have an insulin calculator to see if they're FDA approved. Yes, that's a very good point. Exactly. So if you have a person with diabetes that wants help with their day-to-day diabetes management, what do you tell them to look for in an app? So the first piece of advice that I that I usually give is, will you use it? So, you know, a lot of times we have, if we look at our phone, I'm sure there's apps on your phones that you don't use. And, and that's just taking up space on your phones. But if you have an app and you're using it to help manage your own personal diabetes, we don't want that to, to make you feel bad that you're not using it because not all apps are for all people. So, you know, the other thing is we want to make sure that an app doesn't just contribute to the fatigue of dealing with something every single day because we know that diabetes is a very intense day-to-day activity. The other thing that I say is will it actually be useful to you to help you manage? I, I heard a term that I love and it's called digital exhaust. So, and when I use it, it usually resonates with people. Is it useful digital data or is it just exhaust and like exhaust that comes out of your car and it's just not beneficial to you? So is it going to add something or just going to exhaust you? I tell people to think about that and how you're going to use the data that you're getting from this app and how you're going to use it in the way that you manage your diabetes. You know, some apps just ask you for all kinds of information that you don't have to even, that do have nothing to do. Like, what's your favorite color? And then they don't do anything right. or whatever. And that's that's not all. Right, right. So, you know, the other thing, Crystal, is you have good experience here with Dana apps. Can you let everybody know the points that AADE has used to review apps and the resource that is available? 
Sure. I'm always happy to talk about that. In 2018, AAD launched DanaTech.org for our members. And as part of that initiative, we also launched a second site, DanaApps.org. And it's a site that reviews and evaluates apps based on the Exertia guidelines. These guidelines are a collaborative of the AMA, the AHA, and HIMSS. And they have a 150-point review of mobile health apps. Um, they review all areas like user experience, functionality, usability, privacy and security, like does the app access your camera, your location, or other information, um, some of the data management, and then there's some custom AAD features like user burden, literacy level, and information sharing. Do we share it with your parents or your, you know, your doctor or anything like that? So those are always good things to know. And those are things that, that somebody should think about when they're looking for an app. We polled some persons with diabetes last fall to see what apps they were using frequently and wanted to know more about. And then we presented them to our members to vote on which ones they wanted, um, actually reviewed in this process. And we reviewed 30 apps in 2018 and another in 2019. You know, my last research said there's over 25,000 mobile health apps in the app stores. And so Dana Apps isn't all the apps, but it does give additional information that has some health science behind it. And it's kind of a big help for people that are looking for more information. Can you talk a little bit about specific types of apps that you recommend to persons with diabetes? There are so, like you just said, 25,000. And I'm sure as we're sitting here, there has been, you know, 5,000 more created. One of the things that I, again, I go back to is, you know, what are they looking for? And a lot of times people just want an app to help them log, to help them keep track of blood sugar levels or food. You know, I'm a big fan of apps that help people learn a new skill or, or help reinforce a skill like uh, meditation or something to help them change a behavior, like to start exercising. And again, support them in their day-to-day -day managing like a carb counter accounting um, app or you know, when we have really little ones, um, I was in pediatric care for a while, and a lot of the parents were really into carb factoring. And everybody out there who's listening is probably shaking their heads, yes, yes, and then shaking their heads, no, because carb factoring is like you're doing this every time you eat something, you're doing a, an entire mathematical equation. And but for little ones who don't weigh a lot, carb factoring is really important. And a lot of parents are great at it, but there are apps that actually do that for them and, and they don't need to worry about it. Yeah, that that's definitely something that would be helpful. I'm going to be honest. I try a lot of apps for different things, and there are very few that I continually use regularly. I mean, Facebook, Instagram, and because it makes me feel guilty so that I actually work out. Um, <laughs> but is there a way to onboard to an app that's particularly successful, Lorianne, and how can educators help people with diabetes in that process of onboarding and staying on apps? Yeah. So being in this app space myself, one of the things that I find is a really big detriment to using an app, especially for the population that we serve, which, you know, may be a little bit older and was not actually born into this. We all had to teach ourselves, you know, using apps, using our phones. One of the biggest things is that they don't remember their username and their password. Oh, yeah. And I know that sounds really silly, but we don't want that to stop people from, from using the app. We want to be able to give them the best shot at having something be useful 
And if you can, you know, if you can write down your username and password in a code, um, and there's some tricks, uh, you know, on, on, on setting up user passwords that, that are helpful, that are not like your name or a social security number, we never use those, you know, just write them down in a code so that you will remember and use because sometimes even if the phone actually saves it, if you have to restart your phone or update the software after a few days or weeks, it may no longer be there. So that's my first thing. The other thing that I like is to have people try it out with a friend or a partner so that you can have people support each other in in using it. One of the things I do want to caution is sometimes not all apps, but some apps Um, have a community feature that you can opt in. And you do usually need to opt into this feature. So, and I know, uh, Dana, when you mentioned the Xertia guidelines, they have that. Know that it has a community feature. You may not want to actually use your real name. So, you know, for instance, my sister and I use the same meditation app. I'm in Connecticut. She's in California. So it's, we don't get to speak to what speak to each other every single day, but I like to be able to go on and I'm usually on, I see what she's doing. It's usually a three hour or more time lag. So I see what she's doing in the meditation app. She sees what I'm doing. We can send notes back and forth to each other. You know, recently our mom passed. So I could see a couple of days in a row she was struggling and I could see by the meditations that she was choosing. So I picked up the phone and I called her and it was a really great way for me to kind of keep in touch with her. And she does the same thing for me. But be aware that when you set up your profile and you accept people as friends in some of these apps, that they can actually see what you're doing. So that's a really important thing in terms of onboarding. The other thing that I want to re-mention is the fact that, you know, if you take advantage of the Dana app's org feature to send the app to your patient. Um, that helps the process go much smoother. They don't need to go to the app store or Google Play to find it. It's just an easier way to onboard. And I'm always interested in learning um, what apps other people in this diabetes space use. And I'm always happy to hear about feedback about not only from what other professionals think, but also what, you know, the people who they work with, what are they thinking about We work with people who are managing on their own so much of the time that they really are the experts, and it's really a great thing to hear what they have to say. So I want to just ask, as people have experience with these apps, if they could just write in to our Diabetes Tech COI on Dana and share the experiences, that would help all of us. It would be like kind of a crowdsourcing type of activity. So that's actually a great point is um, the diabetes technology community of interest. It's on Dana. It's under the discussion section. Um, at the top of the right-hand side of Dana, you'll see a little chat bubble. If you click on it, that gets you to that discussion. And we'll set up a discussion specifically about apps uh, when this airs so that it's there for you guys to to share and, and share a little bit more about how you're using apps or even what types of apps you'd like to see reviewed next year for Dana. So today, we've kind of traveled to the land of apps and learned about what to look for in an app, considerations for onboarding people onto an app. But Lorianne, what can our listeners do right now to continue their learning in this space? 
As a professional, we get so much information that just comes to us in our mailbox, you know, our virtual mailbox and our real mailbox. And that includes information on apps. So read whatever you can get your hands on. Take advantage of free offers from companies that make the apps. If they don't have free subscriptions that you can try as a healthcare professional, reach out to them, send them an email. It's usually like support at and then the name of the company and ask them for for a free trial to try them out, like we do with all the other products. You know, one of the interesting things is this is a space that's really, really moving. The um, National Health Services in the United Kingdom just announced that they have a digital formulary that healthcare providers can use to actually prescribe apps directly in the EMR. And just upon releasing this feature, the number of apps prescribed increased enormously. Germany and the Netherlands are in the process of doing that. And as someone in this space, I'm feeling like the U.S. is not too far behind. And we see that there are companies already in the space that are ready to place the apps into um, electronic medical records, the big ones that are that are in hospital systems. There are already digital formularies that are being created by large players in the health sector. And the FDA currently has a pilot program in 2019 that's in place for streamlining the approval of um, something that they're calling this whole digital therapeutics. So it's really a, a space that is going to be exploding. I'm really proud of AADE for being so far ahead of this and kind of I feel like you guys, you know, like it was predicted. And um, I think as diabetes educators working with people, we need to work to help them put all these pieces together. We will not only guide them, but we will learn as we guide them as diabetes take center stage because it is such a data intensive um, disease state. And this technology is evolving. And I'm super thrilled to be part of such an innovative profession. And again, I just wanted to thank you at AADE for really putting us on such an amazing path for being successful. It's definitely something for our vision. Technology is, is one of the big pillars of our vision. And so being able to share that and, and help people grow in that as they learn more about it is something that I'm personally very passionate about. Um, Lorianne, I just want to thank you for being part of this program today and uh, sharing your wisdom with apps. And uh, thanks. Thank you. Thank you so much. This was fun. Thanks again to Lorianne for sharing her wisdom. Remember, you can find links to the resources we discussed in the episode notes or at diabeteseducator.org slash podcasts. Also, we'd love to hear from you. Reach out to us with any thoughts or comments at communications at aadenet.org. That's all we have for you today. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. The information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and may not be appropriate or applicable for your individual circumstances. This podcast does not provide medical or professional advice and is not a substitute for a consultation with a healthcare professional. Please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions.